0: Chris Creese reports from Portland, USA. She has the stories on how the internet is enabling us ordinary people to get involved in scientific discovery.
1: You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105.
0: In this section called Scientists at Work, we talk to people who, for some reason or another, find themselves working, researching or thinking about science in Cambridge, England. Chris Kreese was presenting her research at the Ecological Society of America and she caught up with Jake Weltson of the USA National Phenology Network and also with Brendan Weiner from Adventurers and Scientists for Conservation and they'll share with us how we can get involved in what they call citizen science.
2: This is Chris Kreese, and I'm in Portland, Oregon, at the Oregon Convention Center for the 97th annual ESA, Ecological Society of America, meeting about life on Earth, preserving, utilizing, and sustaining our ecosystems. And I've just been to an interesting workshop on public participation in scientific research. And one of the presenters and organizers there was Jake Weltsin, and we have him here to tell us a bit about his research. So tell us, Jake, who are you? Why are you here?
1: (laughs) Well, I'm an ecologist with U.S. Geological Survey, and I'm also the executive director of the USA National Phenology Network.
2: What does phenology mean?
1: Phenology is, is a fancy sort of old-fashioned word for the study of life cycle events of plants and animals, which is also fancy for when things do things in nature, like when flowers come out in the spring, when birds migrate, when fish uh, swim upstream to spawn.
2: Tell us more about your particular project, the National Phenology Network. What is that?
1: Well, it's an organization that's creating a community of practice for understanding how this plant and animal activity can be used as an indicator of environmental change, like climate change, And also how we can use that information in our day-to-day lives when we're thinking about when we go out and tap a tree to get the maple syrup uh, from it, or when we go uh, manage uh, for wildlife in a a natural ecological system, or when people come to a park to see fireflies or migratory animals.
2: That's brilliant. And I think what's really exciting to me about this, too, is that it goes beyond just the scientists collecting the data. Mm -hmm. And it actually can involve anyone. So exactly. anyone can play scientist. Yes. So tell us how this works.
1: Yes. Okay. So, so the community practice is one thing, but we have an observing system we call Nature's Notebook. It's very similar to the British program called Nature's Calendar, which is also replicated in the in the Netherlands, also Nature's Calendar, um, and Swedish Sweden has one, etc. So that's why we're the USA National Phenology Network. The observing system again is Nature's Notebook, and basically what we do is we team up uh, professional scientists with our public, members of the public who can track plant and animal activity because it's easy. Anybody can tell when a flower comes out on a cherry tree and they can report that information on the internet. It's very straightforward and we use that information and collect that information on a national scale to understand patterns of flowering or migration or hibernation. Uh, All of these things help us understand our environment on a national scale.
2: That's wonderful. And how long have you been collecting data for?
1: Well, we are we are babes in the woods if you will compared to the Marsham records. Uh, Earl Marsham was has been collecting signs of spring in Britain for uh, a couple of hundred years. Here at the National Phenology Network, we've been organized and running for five years That's since two thousand seven. Okay,
2: since two thousand seven. Well, we're getting started.
1: Yeah, we're getting started since two thousand seven. We do have records of informal from amateur naturalists uh, that date back to the times of Lewis and Clark, the explorations into the western portion of the continent. That's the early eighteen hundreds. Henry David Thoreau was collecting phenology information at Walden Pond. Uh, Jefferson was collecting uh, many years of weather records. So there's a lot of historical, anecdotal type of evidence, but nothing really on a national scale and nothing that really kind of teams up or sort of takes advantage of new technology to get the public involved.
2: So how does this work for those of us who aren't scientists? We go to this website and we fill out information about where we want to collect this data, this phenology data. Yes. Now, does it have to be some fancy-pants site that is deemed really important for scientific reasons, or could it even be my backyard? It could be your
1: backyard, and so that's one of our monikers, as we sort of say, we're taking the pulse of our planet, or, you know, looking at global climate change in, in your own backyard. So we scale up the information that's happening from a backyard, or a natural area, or a wayside, or a protected area. And when you combine all that information together on a national scale, you get a very good picture of what's happening. So basically just get yourself signed up. It's at usanpn.org. Get yourself signed up. uh, Choose a site. Choose some plants and animals. You're going to be tracking, observing, um, and record the information online. Or you can use our web apps. You can either web apps or mobile apps.
2: Okay, so people can do this on their phones too. Yes. So what applications? It's for an iPhone and for Android? Both Okay, brilliant.
1: And from our homepage, you can get yourself established as an observer, okay. and then you can go to the field using your mobile apps, either Android or iOS, the, the iPhone application.
2: You're doing really fantastic things here in the United States. What kind of integration is there at the international level?
1: Well, that's a great question. So we are starting to get integrated at the nas- at the international level. In 2010, we had a meeting at Trinity College in Dublin, and it was the first sort of international meeting of, of all of these different uh, phonology networks, these national phonology networks getting together internationally. Um, and we also spent some time at the brewery. We got the international networks together in one place, and we're repeating that meeting again this year. It's going to be in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in September of 2012. We're calling it Phenology 2012. You can just Google Phenology 2012 and find out who all is coming from around the world who has phenology networks or needs phenology information or wants to start a citizen science project like Nature's Calendar or Nature's Notebook. We're very excited. Climate Watch should be there from Australia. Uh, hopefully we we'll get some people from Nature's Calendar, the Swedish Phenology Network, etc. All is to start thinking about, can we share this information? Can we get a global picture of what's happening for spring, what's happening in terms of summer, fall, what's going on with our seasons, what's all this wacky weather doing, this global weirding, what is the impact on our day-to-day lives.
2: That's amazing. So you heard Jake, you can just get out there and report what's going on in your very own backyard and contribute to our understanding of what's happening across the planet. Thanks very much for being with us here today, Jake. Thank you. And I also have with me here today, Brendan Wiener, don't make fun of the name, he's a cool guy, who's the program director at Adventurers and Scientists for Conservation. So Brendan, tell us who you are exactly and why you're here.
3: Uh, I work for Adventurers and Scientists for Conservation, uh, we're a nonprofit with the mission of bringing the adventure and science communities together and what we do is we create partnerships between adventure athletes and outdoor enthusiasts who travel to remote areas with scientists in need of data from those remote areas and uh, it's often really hard to collect data from areas that, you know, are difficult to reach, and it's expensive for scientists to do that. So we provide the service of connecting them with these adventurers who are going out to these remote locations. So
2: what's an example of a remote area?
3: So we have people collecting data right now on Mount Everest, in the Arctic Ocean, on the coast of Washington State in the U.S., in the Simpson Desert in Australia, all over South America, and most of Europe as well. That's so amazing. we're we're pretty much uh, global in scope right now, and we have some great data coming back because it's the field season. So it's the summer in most of uh, in, in the northern part of the world anyway, and so people are out and about hiking and biking and boating, and uh, and we've connected over 400 people with scientists who need data for a variety of projects.
2: Wonderful. And what are examples of data that you've been collecting?
3: Um, so data ranges. Uh, some easy data to collect is water quality data and just uh, water biological data. So we have people who are hiking up in the Rocky Mountains collecting samples from high alpine lakes, and we have a researcher who is studying diatoms, which is a single cell organism, and he expects that there's thousands and thousands of species that have yet to be identified. So we're help. So these people are actually helping him to find new species of life we have people collecting data on pikas which are little uh animals that are the smallest member of the rabbit family and they live in uh, alpine environments and they're considered a indicator species of climate change because as things get warmer their habitat area shrinks so we're scientists are trying to understand where they live and how their habitat is changing and so uh and one really funny one actually is a. Is a project we have going on in, in the Simpson Desert now in Australia. And uh, we had someone who was going there and he inquired about any projects in the area. And so we searched and searched and, and contacted numerous people. And finally we found this researcher from the University of Sydney in Australia. And uh, and so we were really excited. This guy needed just some GPS points of where wildfire was happening and, uh, and where these different vegetation types exist in the desert. and uh, And so we contacted our adventurer who you know was going out in a week and it turns out that the adventurer and the scientist actually know each other <laughs> and uh enjoy a beer or two on occasion apparently and hang out, uh, yeah, in Australia. So, they had to go through our organization, which is based in Bozeman, Montana, just to make the connection between two friends that both live in Australia.
2: <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, in most cases, I guess it's really difficult for scientists to actually find people who are going to extreme locations to do this kind of thing. And I think your program also involves other people who aren't athletes, too. Is that right?
3: That's right. And you know, we sort of define adventurer um, rather broadly, and we do have people on Everest who are. St- summoning Everest and collecting plant life. They actually collected the highest known plant life on Earth on Mount Everest last year. And then we have everyday hikers who are out on you know some trails and they're looking for pikas or they're looking for invasive species. We're leading a group of students out in California to the High Sierra to do some pika monitoring, and we're meeting with the researcher and camping up in the High Sierra for four days. And so we really reach out to uh, a wide range of different people. We're also leading three uh, outings in September for military veterans and their families, and we're going to do some uh, grizzly tracking in Montana where we'll train them how to identify grizzly bear tracks and signs and how to collect DNA evidence on grizzly bears um, to try to understand where grizzlies are moving and what drainages they're using and if they're able to, um, you know, connect sort of different areas of forest.
2: So, what other people do you involve in the organization?
3: Um, So, I mean, we have boaters and cyclists, uh, mountaineers, rock climbers. I mean, pretty much if you're getting outside, uh, we, we do our best to find a scientific researcher and a project to connect you with. Um, and it's really easy if you just go to our website, which is adventureandscience.org. Uh, you can easily fill out a form on there that just gives us some general information about you, about what you're interested in, about where you're going. And, uh, and then we sort of take it from there and try to get you connected with a research project.
2: Okay, so this is a call to action, guys. All of you who like to go out and explore hiking if you're an athlete, get in touch because you can take part in scientific discovery thanks so much for being with us today brendan
0: yeah thanks a lot that's pretty much all for today's show scientists at work is made by the science show team on community radio cambridge 105 you can also find past episodes on the website www.cambridge105.fm you can also subscribe to future podcasts with the itunes store You can get in touch with us on the email science at cambridge105.fm or on Twitter at 105science. Till next time, it's bye from the Science Show team of Roger Frost and Chris Crease. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105.